and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast. Great to have you with us. Today we have a particularly exciting conversation for startups in the sports and technology industry. But first, please uh, go to our website, sportsloft.co, and uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Follow us on social at sportsloft.hq, and make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also like to say a quick thanks to our Sportsloft partners, our legal partner Northridge, and our talent partner SRI for supporting the series. And without further ado, we're going to jump straight into it. So what are we talking about? We're going to talk about uh, understanding how leading startups at the intersection of sports and media approach finding product market fit. Product market fit is obviously tremendously important for the startup world, and it's probably what many founders bellyache over. Uh, on late nights, but we'll talk about why it's important uh, and and how you know when you found it. We're being joined today by uh, two heavyweights uh, in the world of Sportsloft members. Uh, we have Andrew Hall, the founder and CEO of Get Metrics, who's joining us at the end of a 17-hour day from Australia. So we greatly appreciate your time, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Nice to be here. And we're joined by Colin Casey, the EVP and GM of Partner Development for FIVO, uh, who's joining us from Texas uh, on the other side of the world. So we're literally connecting the whole globe. Colin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Yanni. And uh, hopefully this is not the start of a 17-hour day for me. I'm not trying to do what Andrew does. So. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think he's in a very particular moment in the, uh, in the development of Getmetrics, which is actually going to be very interesting to discuss in the context of this topic as well, uh, of, of finding uh, product market fit. Um, but in relation to that, Andrew, why don't you give us a little bit about what Getmetrics is and what stage of the company you're at right now? Yeah, so Getmetrics, um, our tagline is decode your game. So we use um, on-device artificial intelligence to measure an athlete's skill and then to rank them and grade them across several skills. And then once they know where they stand and what their level is, we then have a bunch of, you know, very specifically designed performance improvement content to help them, you know, level up their skill. So um, we're just pre-revenue. So we've actually been in development for a couple of years now. We're about to go out to the market um, in a couple of days on our pre-release announcement with... um, with Kevin De Bruyne, who's, you know, arguably, in my opinion, the best football player with the greatest level of skill around today. And then we plan to launch, um, you know, our app in early July in the middle of the Euros. So it's been a pretty exciting time for us. And we stay up very late many nights pondering over whether we've done everything right on the product assessment frameworks that are out there to, you know, minimise the chance of a, of a train wreck when we do come out to launch. So this is a subject very dear to our hearts. Absolutely. And you've definitely hit the markets of Manchester and Belgium with the statement of Kevin De Bruyne being the best footballer in the world. So nicely done. Colin, do you want to give us a little snapshot of FIVO, where you guys are at, and especially uh, where you guys are going, given the fact that uh, a lot of venues in the US are now coming out of pandemic and looking to sell tickets again? Yeah, man, you you said it best. Uh, we're, we're sprinting out of COVID right now. Um, Fortunately, you know, it's it's tough to be dormant for 14 months when that's the bulk of your business. But um, yeah, Fivo is uh, we're a social shopping cart um, that really sits on top of and plugs into existing inventory systems for our partners. So whether that's a ticketing system like a Ticketmaster or a, you know, retail or e-commerce platform like a Shopify, uh, our goal is to really 
across products unify um, a, a very uh, modern mobile first consumer UX uh, on brand and, and to make that experience social, you know, our, our uh, tagline is, you know, the, the buying experience is the event before the event. Um, you know, we, we want, you know, those friends to invite friends and, and come together, uh, you know, even, even before they, they scan their tickets and, um, you know, ultimately trying to lead, lead to, you know, accretive sales, push more data back to our partners, um, you know, all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, you know, pre-COVID 2019 as a, three and a half year young company. We did $150 million in, in transactions here in, here in North America. And then uh, all of a sudden that shut off right in, in mid-March of last year. So um, we are climbing back online. You know, Yanni, you and I were talking about this briefly before. Um, you know, we're, we are trending past our May 2019 sales numbers this month. Um, and still a lot of folks here stateside at reduced capacity. So we're really bullish on, you know, where things are going the back half of this year. Yeah, it's going to be a real exciting time, isn't it? And certainly with what you guys are doing in North America and the opening up of sports here in Europe as well, it's going to be an exciting time for everyone. Um, but we want to talk today about product market fit, which is um, uh, one of the major topics and the major heartaches for startup founders and for companies figuring out what they're doing. And I'm going to read a little note here that came with the briefing notes that the Sportsloft team put together. And when I say Sportsloft team, I need to give a shout out to Toby Hushin, who's, uh, who's watching us right now. He's done a great job pulling this all together. So according to CB Insights, which is a research company focused on tech and early stage companies, uh, they've compiled a uh, post-mortem of failed startups. And the number one reason that startups fail is that they don't achieve product market fit which is cited by 42% of CEOs of failed startups. Um, and obviously that's not somewhere that anybody wants to be. So Andrew, you guys are kind of at the coalface right now of, of, of being mm -hmm. pre-revenue and about to hit it and, 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 and be market tested. I think we're all pretty confident that what you guys are doing is great, but how did you go about thinking about product market fit and developing in order to make sure that you are launching with something that's going to hit that? And then we'll, we'll deal with the kind of, how you deal with the feedback afterwards. Yeah, look, so, I mean, the reason that statement is true is, um, you know, 99.9% .9 of entrepreneurs look through the world through rosy colored glasses, otherwise they wouldn't do the job and they've generally got their assumptions all wrong, right? And, you know, I actually used to train entrepreneurs as the, you know, the head of the Founder Institute in Australia and it's the number one issue, right? So we used to say, be passionate about your purpose, but be pivot, be prepared to pivot. On how you're going to get there right so so for us um you know we this is a multi-year journey right so this is just not some idea that we dreamed up a year ago and decided it was a good idea and let's go and go and build it we actually did that four years ago through my kicks um and that taught us a hell of a lot about the market right so i think you know most of our you know most of our assumptions were wrong but as i sort of learned at stanford one of the one of the quotes that stuck me stuck with me was plan to discover and it's those those random discoveries that give you the insight about you know which signals to pursue. So, my kicks taught us that there was a market out there that was willing to actually use artificial intelligence on a device. We could train it how to use that technology to augmented reality, and we could market it very very cost effectively. And we actually got to the number one place during the 2018 World Cup with some influencer marketing. So. 
we learned a hell of a lot about the market and that gave us confidence to pursue this much bigger strategy um, on the way through. But what I would say is, um, you know, you need to have a framework and, you know, the frameworks have evolved over time. I think back in 2005, the start of the genesis of this, you know, pre-revenue customer validation was Stephen Gary Blank's Four Steps to the Epiphany. I don't know if anyone remembers that. And then Lean Startup with Eric Reese, who was a student of Stephen, came out after that. Yeah. And then the one that we actually buy, in, buy into is, is something called Win Coffee and Cow Compete by Alan Clement, which I think is the next generation of this thinking as well. And it talks about, you know, jobs to be done theory and demand generating and demand reducing forces and analysing your market in the context of all this and the totality of that as a product going to market. So I think it's process plus insights really sort of help you de-risk that process going forward. And, you know, we're just lucky we've been able to survive for, for many years and, and get those insights and have pretty solid process. And that's led us to where we are today, you know, just pre-launch. I, you know, I don't think there's anything else we could have done to de-risk this from a revenue generation market access point of view because of those insights in that process. Mm. And it's, it's super keen. I actually just read uh, Lean Startup uh, two books ago and I found it uh, really interesting, albeit it is very heavily skewed towards sort of tech and, uh, yeah. you know, constant development and, uh, and deployment of new, uh, new product solutions. Um, but uh, Colin, Andrew referred to kind of the light bulb moment, right? Like there's, there's, there's a market here. What, what was that light bulb moment for, for FIVO? And then the, the, the interesting thing with you guys is that you guys are killing it in that um, peer-to-peer sort of market. Um, but it's not something that's, that's unique. The, you know, even some of the big players like Ticketmaster and Access, they've all tried to implement similar stuff. So how did you find that fit, uh, that product market fit? And how did you ensure that you maintained sort of market leadership there? Yeah, it's a it's an excellent question. I think um, you know first and foremost, you you have to be solving a problem with a product if you're going to enter a market, you know, with a new product or a new idea as a startup. And I think you know Ari Day, our our founder and CEO, who came from Live Nation. You know, you mentioned Ticketmaster, Yanni. They were one of our first partners. You know. Ari's always kind of said it best, and I, I hope I can do him justice here. Um, Web 1.0 is really meant to mimic all of us individually going to a store and getting the items that we ourselves want. Um, that model does not work for live events because even if the four of us here, you know, want to go to a match next week, someone's signing up for a world of hurt because we have to put three other people's products in our cart. So. You know, Ari had this idea of, you know, <clears throat> making that transaction process social. And, um, you know, we actually stand to really benefit because the bulk of the early employees here at FIVO sat on that side of the business. Um, I worked at Madison Square Garden on two different occasions. You can hear sort of the pain sometimes that, you know, a, a quote unquote group ticket buyer goes through. Um, it's like herding cats, um, truthfully. So how do we make that easy on the customer, the end user, the ticket purchaser? Um, because it, it's, you know, it's, it's statistically proven. No one goes to these things by themselves, but they go through a world of hurt, um, you know, in, in an effort to purchase. So it was a philosophical belief, but again, having sat on that side of the business, we were like, yeah, we might be onto something here. And the New York Yankees were the first ones to say, yes, we get it. 
uh, we're going to get our hands on it and we'll be your best partner. And um, you couldn't find somebody bigger. Like, yeah, I know it was, it was weird, right? When you get that interlocked NY, it's a lot easier to get other folks onto the platform, but um, no, I mean, it's been tremendous since then. And I think, you know, to answer your second question, you know, how have we, have we maintained market leadership, you know, over these last five years or so? Um, I think it's simple, like healthy paranoia. We're never, I don't, I don't think, and I speak for the company here, obviously, none of us at FIVO believe uh, there's such thing as a perfect product. Product is always an iteration. Things change, behaviors change. Um, Ari might kill me if I say this, but that guy probably stays up, you know, 24, you know, 24 hours, if not 23 of the 24, thinking, how can we be better for our partners so they can service their fans, you know, to the best, to the best of their ability. So we're constantly iterating, we're constantly adding. Um, in fact, we're headed into whole new frontiers coming out of COVID because um, this time has afforded us the ability to do that. So I think it's just constantly looking at the next thing and saying, how can we take what we just released and make it, polish it up and make it that much better. So this raises an interesting question for me, right? Because there's a there's there's a, a very prevalent school of thought, and and you know, lean startup mentions this, which is which is goes just ship it, right? Just ship it. Let the customers feedback, right? But there's there's also a lot of um, uh, counterpoints to that, which is well, if you ship something that's forgive my French shit, you're just gonna get lost in the quagmire, and the feedback that you're gonna get is gonna be useless. So. Andrew, you've been sort of teaching this, engaging with it. Where do you come out on this? Oh, look, I, I give a talk about how, in, like, full respect to Eric Reese, right, and Steve and Gary Blank. You know, they've done amazing things. But and I and I think me, MVPs have been a bit misinterpreted from what um, Eric really meant. But I run around talking how MVPs are really bad. They're good for investors, bad for entrepreneurs. You need to reach a certain threshold, right? Of of solving a user problem to have any chance of product market fit and that costs money right that costs quite a lot of money to reach that threshold to be the best in the market because you know if you focus just on an mvp you'll probably ship too early and you might not get that signal and you know it's good for the investors because they didn't have to give you a lot of money to kind of get that signal but at the end of the day everyone kind of felt short so we turned it around into a discussion about MLP, minimum lovable product, right? And that that's a continuum about how expensive that is to build. So, you know, we, we spent a lot of time and a lot of money building out our technology platform because we knew, you know, my kicks was a test, right? It was one kicking thing. It was penalties. We knew it would never have, you know, more than 30-day retention. But we knew we would never get the money to build out the six-skill system unless we proved that we could market that people would use it and enjoy it. But yeah, you've got to be focused on minimum lovable product. And um, I think shipping too early is is at the peril of the company, right? For sure. Mm-hmm, for sure. And uh, uh, Colin, how did you guys go about it? Because obviously, like, I know that you guys are launching product updates constantly, the new features, new product updates, new, um, uh, new actually business lines as well. What was the first thing? And, and were there any concerns about it when, when it launched? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I want to go back real quick. Uh, I love what Andrew said, MLP, minimally lovable product. We're going to, we're going to start using that one, man. We'll give you, we'll give you full credit. That's great. Um, yeah. You know, we, we wanted to start, we started simple. Um, we started with a 
you know, just a, you know, version one cart module that the big differentiator for us is the, the cart lives on brand, you know, as, as you guys at Sportsloft have seen. So I can go to yankees.com, for example, and never leave. No one's ever done that before. So, um, you know, shortening the steps, right? We, we philosophically said, you know, us as a customer, when we go to a website, what do we hate? What do we need to remove to ensure that we check out? Um, and, you know, I'll never forget this. Uh, Josh Rose, our chief business officer, and I, you know, we, we didn't even have a back end, Yanni, for like the first year, year and, year and two months. Uh, we, are, we built, we had a staff that white gloved every setup for our partners. We can't do that at scale. And I'll never forget, you know, we, we got adoption really quick because we kind of, again, you know, having worked on that side of the business, we knew where to hunt, so to speak, right? We knew who were kind of the earlier adopters in sports tech. And we just said, hey, this is a prototype. What do you guys think? And people got their hands on it. And then they started using it for stuff that we didn't even initially think partners were even going to use it for. We had people taking deposits um, and, and beyond just traditional group tickets. And Josh and I were in L.A., seeing you know our friends at the dodgers and ucla we're in an airbnb and I'll, ne I'll never forget this i remember we were drinking stone ipas at like the kitchen table this is how distinct this memory is and, and yeah they are delicious and uh josh just like looked up from a computer he was like running some numbers and he's like dude we need to put the product into the partner's hands. Like, what, what are we doing here? Like we need, we can't service all of these logos at scale and, and grow quickly. And uh, that was when what we call we FIVO was born where I can go in now, anybody at the team, click, click, click in a few minutes and I've launched my campaign and I can send it out to market. So um, it's just little things like that along the way. Again, you, it, it's never complete. You kind of look and when you you hit a certain level of, of adoption and threshold, I, I love what Andrew said there about hitting thresholds, you kind of look and say, oh, my God, this is missing. And it's I think when those things kind of, you know, pop off as that timeline progresses, uh, that's just how you continue to kind of fine tune, you know, what that market fit looks like and, and ultimately what services you're providing. Yeah. And you mentioned the white gloving which is which is interesting to me because obviously when you're dealing with let's say 10 or 15 potential clients you can still do that right it means sleepless nights and it means you know belly aching but you can do that but andrew you're hoping to have millions of clients and so how do you ride that challenge between tailoring taking the feedback and, and, and making changes and and just ignoring some stuff because you're like, well, that's just never going to fit. Yeah, look, so we 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 struggle with this every day, right? Um, and in fact, we struggled with our ultimate proposition for for many a month. I remember we we interviewed hundreds of MyKix users. We were like, got this player card thing; it can measure these six skills. You know, we we thought it was a FIFA game, right? And We'd sit there and we were like, okay, how do we segment the market? How do we go through non-leading mm. questionnaires and understand what they all want? And which ones are going to be retained the most and, you know, most likely to pay and use it? And you know, we, we just, you know, we had to listen very, very carefully and intently to sort of, because everyone wanted to use it, right? That was the problem. Um, that was the big problem for us, actually, is that everyone wanted to use it. And then we, as we went deeper and deeper, we started to understand that the above 18-year-old was going to have fun with it once a quarter, 
the below 12 year old probably wanted to use it but couldn't get the maximum value out because didn't have the right phone and then we just kept hearing from the 12 to 17 year olds that they you know they really wanted a barometer of how they were going and because they hadn't reached their lifetime best on their skill ability they were still improving rapidly you know quarter to quarter this product really suited them very well and then we knew through my kicks we could reach them really cost effectively through influencer marketing so so it's it's you know for us it was about okay what's the general proposition and you'll always get um users want different buttons different colors different features you just got to ignore that stuff right but what we find is um, with our sort of interview methodology, it's really quite interesting, actually. The first time I was exposed to this um, was a guy called Drew McKins. I wonder if he's actually listening. Um, and he was like, oh, no, you only need to talk to six and you'll get all the answers from talking to six. And I was like, nah, that's impossible. And it's true, right? Like if you ask the open questions and they're non-leading, the themes emerge very, very quickly in your segments. So we, we sort of go for high-level themes and then the rest is just up to the designers, right? Um, because you'll, you'll never design perfectly for everyone, right? They'll design for the majority of the use case. But mm. So we sort of go macro on certain things and micro on other things. And for us, it just tends to work. And how, how do you guys do that interplay between... And I want to I want to get into also how you're structured to do this because I think that's very important, right? How how you actually geared up in order to react to these kinds of uh, uh, these kinds of feedbacks. But um, how do you uh, how do you build for um, data data analysis, understanding what the data is telling you versus the customer feedback uh, and, and being able to balance between those two things? Yes. Yeah, so we. My kicks was the data analysis because we had an extensive analytics deeply seeded into that product. So that's sort of, that's the reality, right? When you're out in the market and before that, it's all the qualitative stuff, which still has structured process around it. So for us, we, we sit, you know, I sit down with my lead designer, Pip, um, and every week we go through a new flow. Lucas, who's our product analyst, then goes, recruits my kicks users, brings them in. He spends all weekend interviewing 20 different users around these new flows in this structured way. And then we learn from that about, you know, does the user understand how to get value out of that part of the app? Yes or no, what's broken, what's wrong, what did they miss? And that's how we're able to do sort of design iterations to sort of move forward very quickly without having product in the market. You can sort of hack it through through design and UX and UI and putting, putting in front of them. But that's what we run systematically every week as we're leading up to product launch. We've been doing that for the best part of a year, actually, to sort of really, you know, because for us, you know, it's fixed amount of capital, certain launch date, you've got to de-risk the thing as much as you can for maximum monetization usability. And that, that's the process that we use. And it's, it's worked quite well for us in the past and we think now as well. Yeah, Colin, you guys have an incredible client success team who kind of, you know, focus, focus on those things and, and those developments. Um, you know, to talk to talk to me a little bit about how that's structured, how you guys focus in on that in order to ensure that the, the customers are getting the best use out of what you guys do. But then also what ideas come out of that for new products, new development, new opportunities to continue developing product market fit? Yeah, we um, we really pride ourselves on the relationships and the partnerships that we develop. You know, we, we always tell people, hey, if you're coming on board to FIVO, we don't hand you a login credential and, you know, say, hey, best of luck and pat you on the back. Um, in non-COVID times, 
you know, our, our, our partner success team led by my main man, Doug Fowler, uh, the voice of Evo. If you've ever been fortunate to be on a call with Doug, he's, he's got a voice that just puts you at ease. Um, Doug and his team, they log probably the most airline miles of, uh, of anybody that we know in non COVID times, we come on site to see everybody, everybody, um, thorough training. They sit there with the reps or the marketers, you know, here's how you're using it. And a lot of insight, Yanni, to your, to your point is gleaned from those sit downs, those conversations where we can come back to product and say, Hey, look, you know, Atlanta United here are all the programs they run. And they said it would be awesome if, you know, instead of A, B, and C, they could just do A and B, like get rid of C or bring C into one of those other two steps, right, for example. So, and, you know, Andrew said it best, you're not gonna please everybody. You're not gonna give everybody every single minute detail that they want, but um, over the last three plus years, what we can confidently say is a lot of these feature sets that we've added and, and iterated and tweaked that's all partner feedback. Um, we, we kind of view ourselves as having two products. We build for the consumer, the end user, um, because we look at insights and data and behaviors and say, this is, this is how people are shopping now. So we want to incorporate that. But ultimately, like our partners that use the platform, like that's their workflow, right? So a rep at MSG might do it differently than a rep at LAFC. And, and we need to figure out, you know, uh, the balance of customization versus, hey, generally speaking, we think this is the most efficient way, you know, to, to fully execute uh, on a campaign. So there's definitely a fine line, but, um, you know, we're fortunate that, you know, uh, that comes from Ari. Our, Ari's ethos and belief is we got to partner 110%. And, and that means, you know, really getting in the weeds with people and, and identifying what those needs are and how we can help solve for them. And forgive my ignorance here, but do you guys, obviously you work very hard on uh, developing solutions for your customers and your clients. Do you also push marketing towards trying to nudge behavior of consumers to shop in a social way? Or do you kind of assume that that's something that either is done naturally, if people see the, the opportunity, uh, or is pushed by your partners using the using the platform? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the trifecta. Uh, it's, it's really all three. So uh, the, the way that we've sort of built the cart, um, we want to acknowledge what is really learned behavior. And we tell the teams and the partners this all the time, like when you go into Instagram, the comment section is people tagging their friends to see that post, right? It's that has become the, hey, check this out. I'm just going to bring you, you know, Yanni into this mix to, to see what I'm looking at. So we've sort of built the product to kind of mirror those social behaviors that other platforms I think have already introduced. Um, and then, yeah, there's a little bit of nudging going on. We, we, we can bake in rewards, right? If you bring 25 friends to a Yankees game, you get a scoreboard message, right? Kind of dangling that carrot that we always talk about. Um, there's countdowns, there's, there's emails on the back end, right? You know, Hey, Colin, congratulations. Andrew joined your group. You're now five friends away from a reward. So there is some background nudging and we always encourage the partners, especially ones that have done stuff the same way year over year over year. Hey, FIVO is a little bit different. Um, maybe you do sell into your main contact that they can just buy and invite their friends. And if they get to a certain size, right? So it's, it's kind of all three, you know, humming at the same time. And um, 
you know, the, the data and insights that you talked about are, are definitely key. I mean, we're starting to track a ton of that a lot more, I'd say, in the last year or two uh, than we did previously, right? Like, where are people dropping off? Um, both users setting up offers and consumers, right? We, we want to let the data tell us uh, kind of where we need to look to make certain product improvements, for sure. Awesome. Andrew, you're, um, you know, Colin and his guys are coming banging out of uh, out of uh, COVID and it's things things are looking great, which is fantastic. You're coming into a new product launch with a marquee marquee footballer. Uh, we're all sure it's going to go really well, but what are you kind of most worried about, or what's what's kind of preying on your mind at this stage? I'm really interested to get into that thought process a couple of days before global launch. Yeah, look, so our, our business is pretty simple. It's how many views do we get from our partners in our, you know, in our collaboration deal? What's the conversion rate of those views to downloads? You know, we, we understand that very well. What's the conversion rate of um, people in the app to create content to bring new people into the app? We think we understand that quite well through MyKicks. And then what's the conversion rate of people buying in the app? And that's the great unknown. And, um, you know, we, we've done some tests inside MyKicks. And, you know, the, the good news for us is because our, um, you know, our athlete partner, Kevin De Bruyne, has 25 million social media followers, he should get us a very large amount of people coming into our app, no matter what, you know, sensitivity analysis you use on, on those metrics, right? And so for us, it's, you know, it, it's really keeping me up at night to have the product analytics system scaffolded before launch where I can look at those funnels and those drop-offs and, you know, how many are actually getting through to the aha moment and paying and can we trigger those users into seeing that value that sits behind the paywall of all the improvement content. So it's free to test and get your player card. It's free to compare to others. And then we help you decode and understand what you need to prove, improve on. And then as soon as you're ready to make that commitment to improve, that's where our paywall sits. So it's that journey from, you know, ideation of wanting to improve to parting with the cold hard cash is what keeps us up at night. And we don't know if it's, you know, 0.25% to start or 2% to start. But either way, it's a very big number because our mm. top of funnel is so large. But, you know, we want it to be closer to 2 plus percent. So that, that's the bit that keeps me up at night. We know the virality is good. We know the view to download conversion is good. But it's it's that conversion rate and monetization is the bit that, you know, we just got to jump off the cliff now, and um, you know, hope every every bit of process and structure we ever used is is somewhat in the right direction, which we believe it is because we did we did a test in my kit that was two point two percent, but um, that's what keeps me up at night. Um, I'm 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 sitting here rooting for for glorious five percent. Um, how have you geared up the team to kind of react to the learnings that come from that in order to keep? hitting that product market fit sort of golden chalice yeah for, for us so um so there's this huge build process to start with where there's not much debate because there's no data other than the data that my kicks taught us what we needed to build and then we change very much into more of a product council iteration based upon data the day after launch so analytics come in um, I'm on the product council, the CTOs on the product council, and the delivery masters on the product council. And then we talk about what's broken, what's working well, what do we want to lean into? And then we create our backlog from that and prioritize it for that sprint, which is generally two weeks. So 
that's how we're going to react and that's how we reacted in my kicks as well and we find that works works really well so it requires people to be incredibly flexible about what they're going to build next mm. so everybody can tell a success story but quite often we learn best from the failures so i'm going to put you guys on the spot a little bit here and say give me an example of a time where either a product launch or you know a particular uh, a particular element just just didn't work didn't hit the market and why was that was there something wrong with the process was it actually purposely tested to to, to achieve that i'd love to hear a little bit about uh, about that side i'll start with you colin yeah i think um for us, the, the one thing that jumps out, and it was honestly really more timing than anything else, uh, we were working with uh, a partner on kind of more of a GA uh, product, uh, if you will. Um, you know, we, we yeah, we, we dabble, uh, we dabble a little bit in like the festival space and, and we got really excited about like, hey, there's a ton of opportunity here. Um, we put a lot of resources, um, you know, into that project and then COVID happened. So we kind of shut it all down and, you know, look, man, when you do this, hindsight's always 2020, you know, you can kick yourself and say, oh, well, if we never did that, uh, you know, no one can predict a global pandemic, right? But, you know, that's one of those things maybe where not so much a failure, but you always have hindsight 2020 vision in doing this. And sometimes you say, man, I wish we caught this sooner or we put more, you know, tech resources behind, you know, project X at an earlier date, because it would, it, it just gets you through your, um, through your roadmap faster, but no one's got a crystal ball. Um, and, you know, you just kind of, you make do it and, you know, look, when you get, when you kind of get a curveball every once in a while, you look to the other parts of the business that are humming really successfully and just say, well, how can we, how can we help this, piece sort of get us through to the other side, you know, if that makes sense. So that's kind of always been our mantra, you know, uh, Ari says, you know, we're, we're going to try, we're not going to punish people for trying, um, you know, we're just going to learn and, and we're going to keep, uh, keep chugging along. And that's, that's testament to the team that he's built here. Everybody here, uh, wants to row the boat in the same direction. And I think, you know, you just, there's key learnings, you know, we don't look at it as a disappointment or a failure, uh, just an opportunity to, to continue to get better, really. I, I use my step counter as a proxy of stress, right? And um, li live demos seem to inject the most amount of stress in my life. <laughs> um, so in fact, we, 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 we yeah, we, we, in fact, I had a 33,000 step day last Thursday. I'm not going to talk to anyone about it until after launch, but um. I had a 25,000 step day in May 2019 and it was um, it was a live demo and, and this experience actually really solidified us to move away from the past technology stack to a new technology stack. So there we were, the biggest you know opportunity of our lives, demoing at the UEFA Champions League in Madrid in 2019. And um, you know, we're like, well, we better go test the app, right, to make sure everything's fine for tomorrow. And um, no, kick detected and it just went on and on and on and I was like, no, no, like we've had this before on old technology stacks, like what is going on here? And then we started looking at the videos and we just see this vibration and it sent the system into a whole positive feedback loop and it would just die. And we're like, what? The floor was sprung. So it was one of these sprung stages that actually the step of the left foot before we hit the right foot was enough to, you know, vibrate the floor and the whole camera system would vibrate. 
And the computer vision tech stack we worked with back then required it used a difference image for incredibly exquisite detection. And so the great thing was about machine learning is the phone can be moving around. It doesn't need that difference image. And we've been debating for, for months about was it time to move on to machine learning? <laughs> well, it surely was after this, right? <laughs> That's what we learned. And, and so in fact, the whole get metrics, yeah, yeah, totally. The whole get metrics technology stack is you can move the phone around, do whatever you want, run around. It, it just works, right? But um, you know that that was that was a pretty full on twenty four hours, and in fact, um, we had people up in San Francisco, New Zealand, Perth, working out what dissolution layer system they could build with household objects or things available at you know department stores, and we we came up with a um, aerobic stepper, a fifty kilogram dumbbell, and a bunch of cushions, which was enough to solve the problem on the day, but. Yeah, you know that that was a that was a near death experience. UEFA were really good sports about it, um, and we got it working by by the time the demo came around. But certainly, it was unanticipated, but it launched us firmly into the new technology stack. <laughs> wow, I mean that's a that, that, that's a great learning experience, and it really it really goes to show also how when you're when you've got your own product, you just go to any lengths in order to find a solution, right? Pillows, weights, dumbbells, whatever whatever's to hand. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up here uh, in a second as we uh, close in on the on the forty minute mark, um, and also to to get Andrew to sleep for in time for his, uh, another seventeen hour day tomorrow. But um, just before we go, um, any final thoughts from uh, f- from each of you? If 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 an entrepreneur were to come to you guys and say, "Hey, listen, I I, I want to do X," um, what would your top advice be uh, in terms of finding and identifying product market fit. Colin? Um, yeah, I think it, I mentioned this briefly earlier. I, I think you have to, you have to identify a real problem um, and, and you have to, to some degree, uh, measure some actionable data around the fact that your hypothesis is, you believe, pretty intact, pretty sound. Um, Great example. Uh, I, I listened to a case study a few months back during COVID. Um, you know the Segway, right? Like they were like, "Oh, a new way to get around." Like people, no one was complaining about walking, you know, to their mailbox, right? It's just so you you have to you have to truly identify a, a problem, and it doesn't have to be you know an earth shattering problem. It could be a very local problem, but you know, in order to get something off the ground and to get it out. And, and to have it uh, reach adoption um, in, in some scale or capacity, uh, you, you have to be solving a problem for sure. Cool. Andrew? I think that's deadly dead on. You, you've got to solve a real problem. You know, we, we talk about taking user forward in their system that they care about so you to progress them through that and, and assist. I think the biggest advice is, you know, you need to talk to your end user, you need to investigate and you just, cannot lead them in your questioning. So it's almost better if you're not able to do that to have someone else talk to your user and you get all the answers back and see what you know what they're going to say in the cold hard light of day. But yeah, validate, 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 pick a pick a process and a methodology, stick to it and um, you know, try and learn as much as you can. And also the other one I like is talk to people that have failed in trying to do what you've done before. And they'll give you some pretty clear reasons as to why, right? And you know, and see whether that that's relevant for you or not. 
Awesome. Well, thank you both very much for the time. Uh, this has been fascinating. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to this as much as I've, I, I've enjoyed listening to the guys, please subscribe to our Sportsloft podcast. And please remember to visit the website, sportsloft.co, and sign up for our newsletter, as well as following us on socials at Sportsloft HQ. Um, all that remains to, to say is a huge thank you to Andrew for staying up late and, uh, and giving us some good advice and a big good luck for the, for the launch. And Colin, thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it. Good luck coming out of COVID. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot and goodbye.